Hello. Welcome to the perfect puzzle. Yeah, if you've been here before, then you know where we are. We're in Psalm 23, verse 2, which says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. We're going to start with the word prayer first. Lord, we thank you that we can come together uh, through this medium and learn your word, Father. I ask you to, to help me teach your word and explain this psalm which is so important, Lord, when it comes to the to your Son. Lord, I ask you to uh, open our eyes, hearts, mind, soul, and body for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just like last time, we're just going to take a look at the first half of this verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I don't think we're going to get to the second part. He leads me beside quiet waters. Well, we're going to save that for our uh, our uh, next one. Uh, the strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it's almost impossible for a sheep to lie down unless the four requirements are met. They refuse to lie down unless they're free of all fear. And because of the social behavior within a flock, Sheep are not going to lie down unless they're free from friction with others of, of their kind. If tormented by flies or parasites, parasites, sheep are not going to lie down. It's only when free of, these, of the pests that they can relax. And lastly, sheep are not going to lie down as long as they feel like they're in need of finding food. They have to be free from hunger. And so for them to be at rest, there has to be a definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, aggravations, and hunger. And the unique aspect of the picture is that it's only the shepherd who can provide release from their, from, from their anxieties. It all depends upon the shepherd's diligence whether or not his flock is free of any disturbing influences. Now when we examine each of the four factors that affect sheep so severely, we're going to understand why the part the shepherd, shepherd plays in their management is so tremendously important. It's actually the shepherd who makes it possible for the sheep to lie down, to rest, to relax, to be content and quiet and flourishing. You know, it's not generally known that sheep are so timid and easily panicked that even a stray jackrabbit suddenly bounding from behind a bush can stampede the whole flock of sheep. And when one startled sheep runs in fright, a dozen others are going to just join right in in blind fear. They're not going to wait to see what, what's uh, causing them to fear. And as long as there's even the slightest suspicion of danger from dogs, coyotes, coyotes, cougars, bears, or other enemies, the sheep stand up ready to flee for their lives because they don't have any means of self-defense. They're, they're helpless timid, feeble creatures. Their only recourse is to run. And as many as two dogs have been known to kill as many as almost 300 sheep in a single night. Uh, pregnant sheep, heavy with their lamb, when, when, if they're chased by dogs or other predators, they'll deliver their lambs and lose them to an abortion. And a shepherd's loss from, from 
from uh, this happening can be really, really bad. But nothing so quiets and reassures a sheep as to see the shepherd in the field. The presence of their master and owner and protector puts them at ease this as like nothing else can do, and that's night and day. In the Christian's life, there's no substitute for the keen, keen awareness that my shepherd is nearby. There's nothing like Christ's presence to dispel the fear, the panic, the terror of the unknown. You know, we live a most uncertain life. Any hour can bring disaster, danger, and distress from unknown quarters. Life is full of hazards. No one can tell what's going to happen during a day. We live either in a sense of anxiety, fear, and foreboding, or we live in a sense of, of quiet rest. For you, which is it? Generally, it is the unknown or the unexpected that produces the greatest panic. It is in the grip of fear that most of us are unable to cope with the cruel circumstances and harsh complexities of life. We feel there are foes which endanger our tranquility and often our first impulse is to simply get up and run away from them. Then in the midst of our, for of our misfortunes there suddenly comes the awareness that Christ, the Good Shepherd, is there. It makes all the difference. His presence in the picture throws a different light on everything. Suddenly things are not half so black. They're not nearly so terrifying. The outlook changes and there's hope. Then rest returns and you can relax. Uh, this has come to me again and again as I've grown older. It's the knowledge that my master, my friend, my owner has things under control even when they may appear to be calamitous. It gives me great consolation, relaxation, and say, now lay me down in peace and sleep, for, for God keeps me. It's the special office work of God's gracious spirit to convince this sense of the Christ to our fearful hearts. He comes quietly to assure us that Christ himself is aware of our dilemma and deeply involved in it with us. And it is in this assurance that we rest and relax. You know, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And the idea of a sound mind is that of a mind at ease, at peace, not perturbed or harassed or obsessed with fear and foreboding for the future. I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safely. safety. The second source of fear from which the shepherd delivers his sheep is that of tension, rivalry, and cruel competition that is within the flock itself. You know, in every animal society, there's an established order of dominance or status within the group. In a pen of chickens, it's referred to as the pecking order. With cattle, it's called the horning order. And among sheep, it's the budding order. Generally, an arrogant, cunning, and domineering old female sheep will be boss of any bunch of sheep. She maintains her position of prestige by budding and driving the other sheep and or lambs away from the best grazing or the favorite bed grounds. Succeeding her in precise order, the other sheep will establish and maintain their exact position in the flock 
by using the same tactics of butting and thrusting at those below and around them. Now, a vivid, accurate word picture of this process is in Ezekiel 34, verses 15 to 16, and verses 20 through 22. It's a startling example in fight of the scientific accuracy of the scriptures in describing a natural phenomenon. Because of this rivalry, tension, and competition for status and self-assertion, there's friction in the, sh in, in, in the flock. The sheep cannot lie down and rest in contentment. They must always stand up and defend their rights and, and contest the challenge of the intruder. This continuous conflict and jealousy within the flock can be very detrimental. The sheep become edgy, tense, discontented, and restless. They lose weight and they become irritable. But whenever the shepherd comes around and his presence attracts their attention, the sheep quickly forget their rivalries. They stop their fighting. The shepherd's presence makes all the difference in their behavior. That, to me, has always been a graphic picture of the struggle for status in human society. There's eternal competition to keep up with the Joneses, or as it is now, to keep up with the Joneses' kids. In any business firm, any office, any family, any community, any church, any human organization or group, whether it's large or small, the struggle for self-assertion and self-recognition goes on. Most of us fight to be top sheep. We butt and quarrel and compete to get ahead, and in the process, people get hurt. And it's here that a lot of jealousy comes up. It's where petty peeves grow into horrible hate. It is where ill will and contempt come into being, the place where heated rivalry and deep discontent is born. It's here that discontent gradually grows into a covetous way of life where one has to be forever standing up for himself, standing up for his rights, standing up just to get ahead of the crowd. But in contrast to that, the picture in, the, in, in Psalm 23 shows us God's people lying down in quiet contentment. And one of the outstanding marks of a Christian should be a serene sense of gentle contentment. Godliness with contentment is great again. Paul put it this way, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And certainly this applies to my status in society. The endless unrest generated in the individual who's always trying to get ahead of the crowd, who is attempting always to be the top man or woman on the totem pole, is pretty formidable to observe. And in his own way, his own unique way, Jesus Christ is a great shepherd. And in his earthly life, he pointed out that the last would be first, the first would be last. Now, in a sense, I'm pretty sure he meant first in the area of his own intimate affection. For any shepherd has great compassion for the poor, weak sheep that get butted about by the more domineering ones. It is the less aggressive sheep that are for, for, far more contented, quiet, and restful. So there are definite advantages, advantages in being the bottom sheep. But more important is that it is the shepherd's presence that puts an end to all the rivalry. In our human relationships, when we become acutely aware of being in the presence of Christ, 
our foolish, selfish snobbery and rivalry will end. It's a humble heart walking quietly and contentedly in the close and intimate companionship of Christ that is at rest, that can relax, simply glad to lie down and let the world go by. When my eyes are on my master, they're not on those that are around me. It's the place of peace. It's good and proper to remind ourselves that in the end, it is Christ, our shepherd, who will decide and judge what our status really is. After all, it is his estimation of me that is of consequence. Any human measurement, is, at best, is bound to be pretty unpredictable, unreliable, and far from final. To be close to him, conscious of his abiding presence, made real in my mind, emotions, and will by the indwelling of his gracious spirit, is to be set free from fear of my fellow man and whatever my fellow man might think of me. I would much rather have the affection of the Good Shepherd than occupy a place of prominence in society, especially if I attain it by fighting, quarreling, and bitter rivalry with my fellow human beings. Matthew 5, 7 Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And as is the case with freedom from fear of predators or friction within the flock, the freedom of fear from the torment of parasites and insects is essential to the contentment of sheep. And this aspect of their behavior we'll, 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 we'll deal with, with in greater detail later in this psalm, but it's important that I mention it here. Sheep, especially in the summer, can be driven to absolute distraction by nasal flies, bot flies, ticks, when tormented by these pests, it's literally impossible for them to lie down and rest. Instead, they get up on, they're up and they're on their feet, stamping their legs, shaking their heads, ready to rush off into the bush for, for relief from the pest. Only the diligent care of the shepherd, who keeps a constant lookout for those insects, will prevent them from annoying his flock. A good shepherd will apply various types of insect repellent to his sheep. He will see that they are dipped to clear their fleece of ticks, and he will see that there are trees and bush available where they can find refuge and release from their tormentors. And it all requires considerable extra care. It takes time, labor, and expensive chemicals to do the job thoroughly. It means, too, that the shepherd must be among his sheep daily keeping a close watch on their behavior. As soon as there is the least evidence that they are being disturbed, the shepherd must take steps to provide them with, with relief. Always uppermost in his mind is the aim of keeping his flock quiet, contented, and at peace. In a similar manner, in the Christian life, there are bound to be many small irritations. There are the annoyances of petty frustration and even recurring disagreeable experiences. In modern terminology, we might refer to those upsetting circumstances or, or people as they're just bugging us. Is there an antidote for them? Can one come to the place of quiet contentment despite those who bug you? The answer for the one in Jesus Christ's care is definitely yes. 
It's one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. He's often symbolized by oil, by that which brings healing and comfort and relief from the harsh and abrasive aspects of life. See, the Holy Spirit makes real in me the very presence of the Christ. He brings quietness, serenity, strength, and calmness in the face of frustration and futility. When I turn to him and take the problem to him, allowing him to see that I have a dilemma, a difficulty, a disagreeable experience beyond my control, then he comes to assist. Often a helpful approach is simply to say out loud, Jesus, Jesus, Master, this is beyond me. I can't cope with it. It's bugging me. I can't rest. Please take over. And when he takes over, he applies the healing, soothing, effective antidote of his own person and presence to my particular problem. There immediately comes into my consciousness the awareness of his dealing with the difficulty in a way I had not anticipated. And because of the assurance that he has become active on my behalf, there comes over me a sense of quiet contentment. I'm then able to lie down in peace and rest, all because of what he, he does. And finally, to produce the conditions necessary for a sheep to lie down, there has to be freedom from the fear of hunger. Now this is clearly implied in the statement, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's not recognized that many of the great sheep countries of the world are dry, semi-arid areas. Most breeds of sheep flourish best in that, in that kind of in that kind of terrain. They're susceptible to fewer hazards of health or parasites when the climate is dry. But in those same regions, it's neither natural nor common to find green pasture. For example, Israel, where David wrote this psalm, and where he kept his father's flocks, especially near Bethlehem, is a dry, brown, sunburned wasteland. Because green pastures do not happen there just by chance. Green pastures are the product of tremendous labor, time, and skill in land use. They are the result of clearing rough, rocky land, tearing out brush and roots and stumps, deep plowing and careful soil preparation, of seeding and planting special grain, of, ir of irrigating with water, and husbanding with care of the crops of forage that feed the flocks. All of that requires tremendous toil and skill and time for the careful shepherd. If his sheep are to enjoy green pastures in the middle of those brown barren hills, it means he has a tremendous hard job to do. But green pastures are essential to success with sheep. When lambs are maturing and the and the, the the ewes need green succulent food for a heavy milk flow, there's no substitute for good pasture. No sight so satisfies the shepherd as to see his flock well and quietly fed on rich green forage, able to lie down to rest, ruminate, and gain weight. A hungry, ill-fed sheep is always on its feet, on the move, searching for another scanty mouthful of of something to try and satisfy its gnawing hunger. Such sheep are not content. They don't thrive. 
they're of no use to themselves or no use to their owners. They languish and lack vigor and vitality. In the, in the scripture, the picture portrayed of the promised land of which God tried so hard to lead Israel from Egypt is that of a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, you need to understand that this is figurative language, but not only that, it's also essentially scientific terminology. In agricultural terms, we speak of a milk flow and a honey flow. And by that, we mean the peak season of spring and summer when pastures are at their most productive stages. The livestock that feed on the forage and the bees that visit the blossoms are said to be producing a corresponding flow of milk or honey. So a land flowing with milk and honey is a land of rich, green, luxuriant pastures. And when God spoke of such a land for Israel, he also foresaw such an abundant life of joy and victory and contentment for his people. For the child of God, the Old Testament account of Israel moving from Egypt into the Promised Land is a picture of us moving from sin into the life of overcoming victory. We're promised such a life. It has been provided for us and made possible by the unrelenting effort of Christ on our behalf. How he, worked, he works to clear the life of rocks of stony unbelief. He tries to tear out the roots of bitterness. He attempts to break up a, the hard, proud human heart that's set like, set like sun-dried clay. He then sows the seed of, of his own word, which if given half a chance to grow, is going to produce rich crops of contentment and peace. He waters this with the dew and rain of his own presence by the Holy Spirit. He tends and cares and cultivates the life, longing to see it become rich and green and, and productive. It's all indicative of the unrelenting energy and industry of a shepherd who wants to see his sheep satisfied and well fed. It also denotes my shepherd's desire to see my best interests served. His concern for my care is beyond my comprehension. I mean, it really is. At best, all I can do is enjoy and, and just uh, revel and bask in what he has brought into effect. It's a life of quiet overcoming, of happy Repose of rest in his presence, of confidence in his management is something few Christians ever fully enjoy. But the Good Shepherd has supplied green pastures for those who care to move in and find peace and plenty. Now, second half of verse 2 is, He leads me beside quiet waters. And we're going to pick that up in our next study. Uh, hopefully you will continue listening uh, and learning. Uh, thank you for that. And I ask you to uh, return again once I have it uploaded, which should be within just a few days. Thank you for listening. Let's close with prayer. Father, I hope and trust that I have taught your word the way you wanted it taught ask you, Father, to continue helping me to teach, helping me to learn, and help those who are listening, Father, to know that you are our Father, that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and there is no other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.